Hello and welcome to episode 93 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Joining me on today's episode is an incredible actress, someone that captured my eye when I watched the series Lost back, oh my god, it was like 2006 I think, which is now, god I feel really old. Also in an amazing, amazing series, Goliath alongside Billy Bob Thornton, and most recently in Deep Blue Sea, I'm joined today by Tanya Raymond. This is a beautiful actress that has an amazing career ahead of her. She's already been in some absolutely amazing roles, got to work alongside some absolute greats like Dennis Hopper. I mean, let's just be honest, he is an absolute legend. Billy Bob Thornton, for me, is one of the best guys out there. And the list goes on. But in true typical fashion, before you get to hear that interview, I like to talk about the last episode. So I was joined by Keith Thomas. We got to talk things all horror. His most recent work as a director in The Vigil, and also the upcoming remake of Stephen King's Firestarter. And do you know what? This was one of my favourite interviews. From the moment we started talking, we hit it off, and it's great to see all the great feedback that came through online. But let's talk about today. This is someone else that from the start I knew it was going to turn out gold. An absolutely amazing guest and lovely from start to finish. So let's hear it now. Here's my interview with me and Tanya Raymond. Thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. I really appreciate your time. It's just you. So who's me? I'm me and you're Mark. Yeah. Okay. It's called Mark and Me, but today you're me. I understand. Whoa, this is getting really existential really fast. What I wanted to do is, for the listeners out there, take it right back to the start. I wanted to know what it was that made you want to be an actor at such a young age. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, you know, I really... I always loved stories and storytelling. Like, I was kind of a very good sort of storyteller as a little kid and made up all these fantasies and and liked to kind of, I guess, perform in that way, but I never understood what acting was. And um, and then, I guess because I liked reading and I I liked movies, in a sense. I watched a lot of really great movies with my dad um, very, very early on, very young, and he had really good taste in film, and all those things combined, me being sort of a little bit of a nerd and being able to memorize things very well, sort of led me to start acting, I suppose, but it was never a conscious choice, it just it just sort of happened, and then I enjoyed it, and it continued, but I, as a kid, I, I didn't have a concept of what acting was, so I, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to be an actress or be a movie star or anything like that it just it just sort of it sort of just came to be eventually and what were some of those films that you watched with your dad at a young age that made you fall in love with film and kind of getting excited to watch films with him oh man my dad i mean i probably watched chinatown for the first time with my dad i must have been like 10 wow or something and uh yeah that was probably one of that's my earliest earliest memory chinatown jaws uh, what else did I see really young that's almost borderline inappropriate? A lot of Mike Lee movies. He's a big Mike Lee fan. I nice. love Mike Lee. Um, I think I was like 12 when I watched The Crying Game. Uh, uh, we watched all of the, you know, Deer Hunter, um, all of, of Scorsese and, and Coppola's movies. Uh, a lot of Jim Jarmusch stuff, like Strangers in Paradise. I was really young too. So, so uh, I, you know, Inevitably, of course, the first few movies I ever watched with my dad are now my favorite movies that I've probably seen now hundreds of times. And, uh, 
you know, I'm not probably not as well versed in, in, in film as most of my actor friends are, or most people are really, I tend to obsessively watch the same thing. But yeah, I, I credit him definitely for, for um, letting me watch things that weren't just kids movies. Uh, and I guess that's, that's sort of what sparked my interest, you know, just from a, like a storytelling point of view. <laughs> Jaws is my favorite film of all time, and I wish I watched it when I was 10. That would have been incredible. Yeah, it, it, made, it gave me a very tough skin. Like I, was, I wasn't, it made it so that there was nothing that really scared me very much as I got older, except for The Exorcist. That is still the yeah. only movie that, that terrifies me. And as a kid, that was not there. My dad was, he should not have shown me that. I should not have been able to watch it that young. I remember sitting inches away from the TV watching it for the first time. And about 20 minutes in, I was crying. I couldn't do it anymore. So it was very mean of him. But uh, besides that, yeah, Josh is a masterpiece. And obviously people will know you from stuff like Malcolm in the Middle, but obviously one of my favourite TV series was Lost, and I used to love watching it and meeting up with my friends and going online and reading different theories, which I think you don't have that anymore in TV as much because, you know, there's spoilers and people are putting stuff on Twitter all the time and you're getting loads of trailers. But to be involved with J.J. Abrams and involved in Lost, it must have been one of those highlights of your whole career. Uh, yes, definitely. And it's, it's funny when I, when I watch some of it now, it seems like it was so ahead of its time. And the fact that it was just on network TV and it was on the, the, the old fashioned TV schedule, like 20, I mean, they would shoot, we shot some like 23 episodes a year of hour long TV that was on every week. I mean, that seems unfathomable now. And that was before, you know, before, before streaming existed, before binging existed, all those things. And this was a show that like people would wait for every week, and to be able to to make such quality. I mean, we're making a mo- a movie a week essentially. Like, yeah. And they did it for six years. It's incredible. So, um, uh, yeah. I mean, again, I don't think I had like a very like a good understanding, a grasp of how of what the show was or how big the show was when I first started. And you know, there's so much secrecy on that show that often when new characters would appear, we wouldn't really know who we were or what we would become um, until the story developed. So because we were in the dark, it was just kind of a, you had to be very present. It was like in the present moment, do this scene, and I don't know what this means, but we'll see next week, you know? And one of my favorite actors of all time is Dennis Hopper. Um, the fact that you got to film with him, <laughs> how was that? Because he, he, for me, is an absolute legend and deserves that title. Oh, wow. I agree completely. And that goes back to watching these movies like with my father that, you know, I was, um, it was a huge honor. And I think it, you know, I, I worked with him on Crash. I think he passed away like shortly after they finished that series, like some maybe a year or so after that or maybe less. Um, I, uh, again, it's just one of those, I, I look back on it now and I'm like, I, I can't even believe that happened. Um, he was so kind and so nice. And to me, one of the coolest film legends of all time. And I remember sitting outside with him in between scenes and he was talking about gardening and like, he was just this really nice quote unquote old man. And you would never think in a million years, fucking Dennis Hopper, you know? Uh, I just, I, I can't explain it except that I, I feel very lucky that I was able to work with him. It's crazy. It's still crazy. 
I'm extremely jealous. I would have just loved to have met him and shook his hand and just said thank you for what you've done because he is just one of the best out there. Also the coolest cat ever. I mean, yeah. talk about a humble, humble person. Like just, uh, I mean, uh, I, you know, I would, crazy. He was, I remember him on set also once and he was telling stories about like running around town with, um, with Nicholson and Warren Beatty and, and I, just, just hearing these stories from Hopper was like, my God, I can't believe he's talking about these people, these other legends, you know, that don't even seem real. It was incredible. It was incredible. Very kind, gentle person. Just awesome. So nice to me. And people that are listening right now will also know you for being alongside Billy Bob Thornton. And we're talking about cool people um, in Goliath. Now, is he, as, <laughs> is, is, is he as cool as he looks on screen? Is he as funny as you want him to be? They say never meet your heroes, but I'm sure if I could sit and have a beer with him, it would be the best. I guarantee you, if you sat and had a beer with him, you would be the best. He's like... Uh, talk about nice and generous. Like, Billy, I, I mean, I've never met anyone with less pretension in my entire life. Billy will talk to anybody on set. Billy, people walk by and ask for pictures when they're filming and stuff, and he'll, like, sit down and talk to them for, like, an hour. He's truly, like, has no ego, this man, this person. And uh, I've never had more fun acting with anyone in my entire life. Uh, he he has a way of making you feel comfortable like like no other actor I've I've performed with. Uh, I would act I would just work with Billy for the rest of my life if I could in every every project for the until the end of time. Um, I think he's an incredible he's just an awesome person. He's, he's like the nicest guy ever. And beyond that so interesting to watch and I learned so much from working with him. I mean, working on Goliath these last couple of years have been the best learning experience from an acting point of view that I've ever had. Uh, He is a a fucking master at what he does and just to be able to watch him and learn from him and work with him in scenes is like it's an unparalleled experience. I've never had anything like that before. Um, Yeah, Goliath is, is Billy's a whole other. He's also. I can't. I can't. I should not swear. He's a very funny person. <laughs> you can swear as much as you want on this podcast. Um, anyone can say what they want, oh, okay, so okay. don't worry about that. And thank you, thank so, you. if I ever meet him, I'm going to say to him, "Look, Tanya said you're absolutely fucking awesome, and you're the coolest, most grounded mm-hmm. person. So, if I can do a podcast, you should say yes because Tanya said you're very nice. Exactly. Perfect. That's right. That's right. Tell him that exactly. And uh, at the moment, obviously, we're speaking because you're promoting your latest film, Deep Blue Sea Free, um, the third part in this yes. this uh, trilogy, and maybe there'll be more, who knows. But um, how did this part come about for you? This was, um, they, they sent me the script. This was just a script sent like any other. Yeah. And obviously, I recognized the title because I said, oh, my God, I love Deep Blue Sea. I remember seeing this in the theater. This movie's awesome. And I'm a big fan of, um, like, kind of, large-scale, epic, entertaining Hollywood movies that always happen. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I was excited to read the script because I was a big fan of number one. And um, and I loved the story. It touched me, and I felt like it was written with a certain directness and honesty and earnestness that I thought was really nice. There was no cynicism in it. It was like a straightforward horror action movie with a lot of heart. And, um, and I really loved Emma's, uh, she had a lot of 
there was something about Emma that, that I found very genuine and, and, and I really liked her and I could kind of hear myself in her and, uh, and all of that. I mean, it could have been about dinosaurs. It could have been about killer, killer, I don't know, killer cobras. It didn't really matter to me, the shark thing. Uh, to me, the, the, the story in and of itself was, was compelling enough. So yeah, that's how it kind of came about. And what was it like on set? Because obviously there's a lot of CGI work with this. You've not got obviously a, a real kind of shark that big. Was it uh, a new experience working with this new technology and stuff that's kind of advanced now since obviously back in the days of Lost and Crash, you know, times have changed. There's probably a lot more green screen work. You know, funnily enough, there wasn't, well, we had, you know, we weren't, how do I, I mean, there was a lot of, uh, most. Uh, I mean, a huge portion of this movie takes place underwater. So the first thing that we did, there was like a some very extensive diving training and sort of certifying uh, diving certification before we started working. And then we would work with like the, we have underwater flight sequences. We have a ton, a ton of diving and swimming. So we worked on all of that before and that was a big part of our training um, to get in, just prepared for the movie to begin with. Um, so all that was new because I'd never done any of that before. And so all those experiences were brand new ones. So I had nothing to compare it to. Kind of jumped in the water head first, literally. And uh, so that combined with, we didn't have too much green screen. Believe it or not, all the underwater stuff, for the most part, either we were acting with nothing. Yeah. So just kind of imagining with our minds where the sharks would be. <clears throat> and then for the more elaborate ones, uh, they would use, like, a tennis ball on a stick that I'd have to fight with, stuff like that. So it was all in my imagination, and it was all about us conjuring whatever scariest freaking shark we could think of while we were acting, because we never saw anything. Um, and then a couple of times, for little bits here and there, they would use some, like, puppetry, uh, like, uh, sort of a prosthetic shark heads and things like that, but, but very rarely, mostly we were just, bobbing around in the water by ourselves, imagining a shark chasing us. That was that was pretty much was pretty much what we did. And was it quite hardcore prepping for this film and doing all the diving and all the actual physical work? It must have been quite a strain. It was a lot and I well, I mean but I'm grateful for it. I think it was all done in preparation. Thankfully we had enough time to to, to work on our skill beforehand because once you started shooting it went very quickly. And it was a very fast shoot. And so if we weren't ready by the time we got started, we would never be ready. And we had so little, very little time, in essence, to do it that we had to be prepared. So we had to get certified. We had to understand. There's a lot of just technical kind of challenges involved in in diving in the first place and regulating tanks and learning how to use a full face mask, understanding what choreography feels like underwater. Um, there's a whole the challenge of of, uh, of being able to understand notes or take direction when you're underwater is very difficult. Uh, you can't communicate with anyone once you once you dive down to about forty feet, which is where we did a lot of our diving sequences when they were filming with underwater cameras. There was no way to communicate with the surface, so everything was about hand signals and sort of uh, uh, visual cues with the underwater cameramen. So. Actually, we became very close with the underwater crew because we had, it was almost like a dance, like a choreography. We had to kind of understand what they were telling us uh, based purely on instinct or hand signals because you can't talk underwater and you can't hear anything because you have a regulator on your face that's super loud with all the bubbles and stuff. 
Uh, so it was a completely new way of, of, of acting. You know, it was almost like mime or something is what it felt like. And a lot of people that listen to this podcast are people that want to make film or become an actress. Um, what advice do you give to people that are wanting to get a name for themselves in the industry when it's quite a hard industry to get into? Yeah. Huh. It's funny because I wonder if I started now what I would do because things were so different when I started. YouTube didn't exist and you couldn't really make your own stuff and it was impossible to get anybody to see your thing. But I mean, I feel like now with all these different platforms, like as an actor, you're unique because you're, you're, you're you. So nobody else is made exactly like you. And that means that you probably have an interesting story to tell just because nobody else has the same one. And I figured if I was doing it now and starting, you know, I'd probably try to, I don't know, write some kind of thing based on my life and and film with myself and put on YouTube with my friends or something like that, that's probably what I would do if, if I were starting out now. Because I think we have such an, we have such an opportunity now with, with the internet that you can kind of, you can sort of create your own material, essentially. You can do whatever you want. You can shoot it on your iPhone. So I guess, I guess that would be my advice. It's kind of an exciting time. It's very different than it used to be. So in that, in that sense, I think also people are much more open uh, to different kinds of stories and people who don't look the same and, and different, different backgrounds and ethnicities and all these things that were um, uh, a little less prevalent or accepted back then. You know, when I was 10, when I started, when I was 10, things were a little more firmly rooted in the kind of old-fashioned, typical Hollywood uh, stereotypes, so to speak. So, you know, the fact that now we're just generally speaking, and in entertainment, so much more open-minded, um, I think we're ready for all sorts of different kinds of stories from, from people we haven't heard before. So it's almost like, you know, YouTube's sort of given a voice. And I think as a performer, even just starting out, you know, that's that's huge. You can use that. So I guess that'd be my advice. <laughs> And with the way that the world is at the moment, obviously with the COVID-19, a lot of people are putting films on hold and stuff, but how's the future looking for you? Have you got any projects lined up for the next sort of year or two, or is everything kind of on hold while, while kind of the studios are working out what to do next? I guess everyone's trying to figure out how how we're going to proceed just from a, you know, from a safety point of view. And it, it's just, it's going to be a, a very different, environment coming back to work. I mean, I, I keep thinking how weird it's going to be and how different and the fact that, you know, they're going, it seems like it's going to be, you're going to have to maintain social distance. When you're on set, you're going to wear a mask. Um, certain groups of people, depending on what they're doing, and like certain parts of the crew won't be able to talk to other parts or will have to keep their distance. And, and actors are going to be in their own pod and everything is going to feel very sort of separate, which is so strange because when you work on a movie, one of the greatest parts about it is that it's a communal effort, and it really, really has a sense of like symbiosis with every every department and every person on set, and that's why it's so fun because it's not a it's not a lonely exercise. You're all doing this together, so I really wonder how that's going to feel. Um, but uh, but we're going to continue shooting Goliath as soon as as soon as everyone's able to. So that'll be so we do have the rest of the season to shoot. Uh, quite a bit so that, that that's my 
that's what I'll get back to right away. And then, and then the future, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe, uh, I'd love to make another shark movie, but you know, maybe in the summer this time, because it was really cool. <laughs> and my final question is everyone that comes on the podcast chooses the piece of music that we do as the outro on the episode. Um, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but is there a piece of music or a song by an oh. artist that you would love to be personal to you to close this episode? Oh, man, that is so hard. Uh, let me think, let me think. Oh, shit. Go from the uh, gut. Go from the first thing that comes into your head, because otherwise you'll be thinking about it for hours. Okay, and... uh, uh, Fuck the Police by NWA. Perfect. We'll do that. <laughs> especially, especially as the podcast, cool. can we can swear on here, so we might as well take advantage of it and get a song that we can use perfect well i think that's 20 minutes up so i want to thank you for your time tanya i hope you have a great rest of the day and doing press and stuff and it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you oh all right bye-bye so there it is there's my interview with me and tanya raymond like i said at the start one of those guests that i wish i could talk to for absolutely hours we hit it off straight away and i knew the energy was going to be high it was just great and it's just One of those interviews I just didn't want to end, and I hope you guys that are listening back at home loved it too. As you could hear, she was promoting her most recent film, Deep Blue Sea Free, and that's out now everywhere, and I urge you to go and check it out. I really hope you enjoyed the interview as much as me, and again, it's someone that I really hope I can get back on the podcast in the next couple of years so we can carry on talking more and more. Ah, and also, let's be honest, she loved yours, so instantly I'm going to love her. As fans of Mark and me, guys, please keep the support coming. I'm seeing loads more people following me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you're new to Mark and me, hey, just jump on markandme.com. On there, there's the links to all the social media channels I've just mentioned. Drop me an email. Do what you want, but if you can reach out and get in contact, I always promise to reply to everybody. It's a really good month at the moment on Patreon, but oh my God, September and October's prizes, I've took it to the next level. I really do appreciate all the support the podcast gets, but it needs more and more to keep on going. I'm reaching out to new platforms, trying to get more guests from different walks of life, but it means I need support. So if you jump on Mark and Me, there is an actual link on there to my Patreon page. You can sign up there, and I've said this time and time again, for as little as about a pound a month. You can't even buy a coffee in Starbucks for that. So to know you're going to get at least four episodes of that per month, an opportunity to win loads of prizes, interviews before anybody else, and I'm going to step it up. There's going to be a lot more episodes coming. If you can jump on there and spend just a couple of quid a month to support the podcast, it makes a huge difference. I don't pay myself and all the money goes right back into the podcast so I can do more and more episodes, which means more and more interviews for you guys out there. I really hope you've all enjoyed today's episode and as always I'll be back in a few days with a brand new episode. Go and check out Deep Blue Sea Free, go and let Tanya know you've listened to the episode on Instagram, tag her in, do what you need to do and stay safe and I'll be back in a few days time. Take care everyone.
selling narcotics. You rather see me in the pen than me and Lorenzo rolling in a benzo. Be the police out of shape, and when I finish, bring the yellow tape to tape off the scene of the slaughter. Still getting swallowed up bread and water. I don't know if they fags or what. Such a nigga down and grabbing his nuts. And on the other hand, without a gun, it can't get none. But don't let it be a black and a white one. Cause they'll slam you down to the street top. Black police showing out for the white cop. When 